This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. Now, on your website, you're listed as a fear fighter. What do you mean by that? What What is your definition of a fear fighter? So there are all kinds of ways that fear uh, sort of breed this this paralysis in an organization and, and in our daily lives. What we do at Courageous is really help people understand what those fears are and what's driving those fears. So there are three ways to, to sort of fix that, right? Number one, when you have a knowledge, that takes some of that fear away when you have faith. So the other thing that we do at Courageous is we help organizations and people get that faith back. All of a sudden you've got knowledge, you've got the faith to make a decision and to take action. And that last piece is that action. All of a sudden with knowledge, faith and action, you have the ability to, to, to sort of take the fear away. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Rhett Power, in 2007, you co-founded Wild Creations and quickly built the startup toy company into the 2010 fastest growing business in South Carolina. You and your team won over 40 national awards for your innovative toys. You were named one of the world's top 100 business bloggers. And in 2018, you were named the best small business coach in the U.S., you're a co-founder at Courageous Leadership, a leadership consultancy that helps people believe again. McGraw-Hill published your second best-selling book, The Entrepreneur's Book of Actions. You're also a regular contributor to Inc. Magazine, Forbes, and Thrive Global. Rhett, welcome to the show. Roger, it's a real pleasure to be here, man. It's awesome. And we were talking a little bit offline. And one thing I just have to share, it doesn't happen that often, but we're both the same age. We're both 51 and I just, I love connecting with people that are the same age and from the same era. There's just something special about that. Now I did find out I'm a little bit older than you. So there's a little bit of a respect factor there. I'm like a little bit of an older brother. You are, man. You, you know, you got a little bit more wisdom, just a little bit, you know, just a little bit. Even if it's a couple respect. of months. <laughs> got to respect it. <laughs> you're a 60s baby and i'm a, I'm a 70s baby. Uh, uh, that's uh, true that is true that's right you gotta respect that now well it's great to have you on and there's so much to talk to you about um and i just i've really enjoyed going through the research of all of this work that you've done um over your career and it's just it's amazing to finally be able to connect with you and talk about that um but i really wanted to start somewhere softer and that is you put a post out recently on LinkedIn and you said this, you said, be an encourager. The world has plenty of critics. Yeah. And I really like that post. I love that quote, but I want to ask you what prompted you to put that out um, and, and talk about some of the engagement and reactions you received. Uh, well, I mean, I think we're all frustrated, right? Um, and it doesn't matter. I, I'm, this is not a political discussion, but I, I think that we're all frustrated with the dialogue today and how it's done and how, you know, um, I, I grew up, you know, in a, in a family where dialogue and, and conversation and, and voicing your opinion mattered and, and, and how you did that was important. 
right? Um, how you talk to each other is important because in the way that you talk to each other, it, you, you can, can come to consensus, right? You can, um, if you respect other people's opinions, you respect other people and, and their views, then you can ultimately build consensus and, and find common ground. And, um, you know, the other thing is, is that, that we often, you know, I remember <laughs> the first time I just, I'll get into this maybe in a little bit, but I've, I've sort of defined my life by quitting. And I remember quitting uh, one of my first jobs uh, to, to say, well, you know, I'm going to start a, 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 a business. And I remember the, the, the look on people's face uh, of why would you do that? You're getting paid really well. You're having fun. You're doing something good. Um, but you're quitting to start a business and the look of the, the sort of the critic of the, the why I shouldn't uh, was there. And, you know, we just, we have people that sort of criticize everything that we do and the way we, we do it. And, and I think um, to me, um, I would just rather live in a world where people support what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. And uh, I think that's more productive. So that was the sort of, I was thinking about it. I had a conversation that I wasn't particularly happy with um, the day, bef day before. And it just occurred to me that, that I needed to, you know, this was actually, that post was really for my own mental model, right? It was for my own inner dialogue, my own inner conversation of when I'm talking to somebody, be supportive, you know? Um, not, don't be a critic. It's, it's easy to be critical. It's easy to, but I don't live in that person's mind or in their, in their shoes. And, and so, you know, I, I yes, we, we, we often have to, you know, when I'm talking to my teenager, I have to, um, say why did you do that or what was your you know but we can we can be we can question and we can ask and, and be inquisitive and curious without being critical no it's such a great point and look for people because i know you're a coach as well for people that might be struggling with this say at their in their career and they go to their to their boss and Every time they bring something up to their boss, it's it's either critical or oh, you shouldn't do it that way. You should do it this way. What do you how, what do you say to people? How can we help some of those people today? I think um, you just got to keep trying, right? It's it, 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 um, because as as a, I mean, if you're trying to change your boss or change um, you know somebody in your family, we've all got people that are difficult in our families. Uh, we've all got difficult people in our lives. Uh, I mean, there's not one of us that doesn't deal with that in some way. Uh, I think you just have to keep smiling, keep trying, keep uh, encouraging, and be be that person, uh, and don't let it get you down. I uh, Peter Bregman just wrote a really good book about how uh, uh, about how to change people, and uh, it's on my reading list. So let's get hmm. back together in a couple of weeks and see <laughs> if if there's some hints and tools in that that help you change somebody i I've, I've always been of the thought that it's it's really hard to change people but uh maybe peter's broken broken the code on that um and i'm looking forward to reading that book so that's a great question but i i think for me i i know that i just try to keep being me and keep being yeah. positive keep being encouraging and and not let that negativity or that sort of constant well you should do it that way change who i am and and, and how i look at it um and because that, that's a person you can still have to deal with. And, and so uh, keep trying to be you. And I think, you know, hopefully one day you get a breakthrough. I'm, I'm so glad you said that because at the end of the day, everyone has opinions, right? So you could bring an idea to 
a room, you know, say there's 10 people in the room, all 10 people may have a different opinion. So the fact that you said, be more me, that to me, that's where it's at. That's where the magic happens is to have the confidence in yourself to go with your gut instinct. And it sounds like that's exactly what you do. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I found that post fascinating and, um, wanted to get your take on that. Now on your website, um, you're listed as a fear fighter, which again, <laughs> it's something I really connect with, but for people that want a little bit more explanation on that, what do you mean by that? What, what is your definition of a fear fighter? Well, look, we all, um, I, I think say a couple things. Um, fear breeds fear, right? And courage breeds courage. Um, you know, fear often is one of those things, and we've all worked in organizations, right, where fears were drove the decisions and, and fear always came up and it, what that leads to ultimately is paralysis, right? In some way, shape or form, whether it's decision-making, whether it's action, whether it's uh, the way that, that that uh, the, the, the organizations run, whether the product gets out on, on time. So there are all kinds of ways that fear uh, sort of breed this, this paralysis in an organization and, and in our daily lives. Um, so what we do at Courageous is really help people understand what those fears are, uh, understand you know, what's driving those fears, uh, come up with a plan to uh, number one, get so there are three ways to, to sort of fix that, right? Number one, when you have a knowledge, when you have the right knowledge and you, and you have knowledge around a problem or an issue, um, then you can come up with a plan to, to, to sort of address it. That takes some of that fear away. When you have knowledge, uh, you don't have as much fear. Um, when you have faith. So the other thing that we do at Courageous is we help organizations and people get that faith back. And what I mean by faith is not necessarily faith in religious sense, but it's faith in they've got the knowledge, they've got the skills, they've got the people to, to, to do, to fix the problem or, or solve the, the issue. Um, but they need that faith that the belief, the belief that they can, the belief, the believership in, in the, in the leadership, believership in themselves. So we help them gain that back. And so all of a sudden you've got knowledge, you've got the faith, um, to make to, to make a decision and to take action and that last piece is that action that we help people come up with the action plan around their problems around their fears uh all of a sudden with knowledge faith and action you have the ability to to, to sort of take the fear away and and all of a sudden you can make a clear uh, smart word-looking decision and take action on it uh, and and get rid of that paralysis which is what's holding back and look I mean, we're in the middle of a business apocalypse. Let's just put it out there, right? You've got just a, so much going on. You've got businesses disappearing at an uh, at a rate that is staggering. If you look at the the Fortune 500 and and what's happening there, um, you know, it used to be on the on the Fortune 500 for 75 years. Now, the average lifespan of a company on the Fortune 500 list is is 11 years or something. So. We're getting dis. I mean, big companies are getting disrupted all over the place, right? Um, you have time, but you don't have enough time. I mean, there is just with the rapid pace of change and the way things are moving, uh, we go from financial crisis to you know to pandemic. That our time is just being sunk into these things that 
uh, are disrupting our daily our daily sort of work. Um, you know, to, to borrow a Marshall Goldsmith thing, what got you here won't keep you here. You know, um, that is such a truism to me. Um, you, you can't look at what you've done to get you where you are. You you really have to be forward thinking. You can't look at the past. Um, if if you'd ask a CEO two years ago about the future of remote work in their organization, they probably would have said, oh, that's a decade, two decades away, right? Um, that's a real issue right now that, that people are having to deal with, right? If you'd have said, I'm going to have supply chain issues like we're having, that wouldn't have been on their radar, right? I was talking to a, a last two years ago, where I was talking to a CEO of a Fortune 100 company. He said, we had game planned all kinds of disaster scenarios sending everybody home to work was not one of them, you know? And, and so, um, and then the other thing is that we're, we're wired to fear change and, and, and we're, we're living in this massive uh, era of change. And, and so companies are really struggling and, I, and I, our job really is to help them fight that fear that helps or that makes them just sort of stagnant. Yeah, no, and I love your three points of knowledge, faith and action. Again, you're, you know, it's, it's systemizing and looking right. at fear in a, in, a, in a way that, okay, if you kind of step right. away from it and look at those three pillars, then it's something you can co combat and right. um, appreciate how you, how you put that all together and explaining that as well. So uh, something fun I wanted to uh, transition to back when, well, we were the same age, uh, back when we were both uh, about 20 years old. Uh, I, I worked for a guy, his name was Jim Sapp, and he was the founder founder of the Teddy Ruxpin uh, <laughs> the Bear. And I just, I thought that was the coolest thing. He was also Clyde Drexler's agent, sports agent. I was living on Portland, mm -hmm. Oregon, and I worked for them, and we were building Clyde's... Uh, Clyde, the, Clyde the Glide, right? That's right, Clyde the Glide, uh, building his clothing line. But I was always fascinated by the, the toys, and he did way more than the Teddy Ruxpin. That was the one that that you know hit the jackpot pot but can you talk about how did you get into starting a toy company and uh what was that like well that's a really roundabout question so uh, <laughs> well that, that 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 journey is is really twisted but you know i um so I, I i came out of college i was working for clear channel communications i i was a failed radio disc jockey so then I went into the sales and marketing and the business side of it because I was I seemed to have a better knack for that than than spinning record or not even records. It was CDs. I can't I have to be honest. It was CDs. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I, I did that for about five years. And and then in the middle of that, um, really kind of I guess I freaked out a little bit. I got to I turned uh, 28, 29 and and said, wow, you know, I've got a house, I've got a two-car garage, I don't have the white picket fence, but let's just say I had the white picket fence, you know, and I was like, man, I, I just don't, I don't want this to be my life. Like this, I don't want to look back in 30, 40 years and, and get the gold watch and and think, man, I, that, this is all I did. So quit, I joined the Peace Corps, I joined the Peace Corps, I joined the Peace Corps. Um, actually went to Central Asia, ended up in wow. Uzbekistan. Um, and then uh, almost at the end of our Peace Corps time in two years, 9-11 uh, happened. 
and ended up as I was in the region, I had learned Russian and I had learned some language of the region. We were next door to Afghanistan. Uh, the war on terror started happening. Um, I, I took a job almost immediately with USAID, went into Tajikistan um, and was helping uh, with cross-border trade issues. And you know, so I'd gone from radio to Peace Corps to now brokering trade deals and helping enterprise establish, um, you know, because the, the region was transitioning from a Soviet-based economy at the time. You know, it only it was only about 10 or 12 years removed from the, the wall, of, you know, the, the Soviet Union collapse. So they were still struggling with, um, you know, uh, changing to a market-based economy. And our prevailing thought at the time was, if look, if we solve this problem of 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds having no employment and no jobs, then we might take make a dent in terrorism. We might make a dent in, um, you know, in people being radicalized. Um, so we were, you know, charged with uh, create helping those businesses thrive and grow and 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 um, and setting up the regulatory environment uh, in those countries in, of Central Asia to, to sort of help that. Um, and did that for about seven years, and and and, it's, and and it was six years, and and that was really fulfilling. I enjoyed it. I got paid to live and travel, and and actually do good work. But around 2006, I, my I had been having conversations with a, a, a colleague, and he and I were, we were the business people in the group, and um, you know we just we started talking about something else, and we started talking about looking for something else and doing something else, and creating our own business and our own legacy. So I got that itch again to move. And so we quit with those really great jobs that we're helping and, and serving to come back to the States and, and start looking at what was next for us in terms of a business. And we looked at everything. I'm going to tell you right now, we looked at everything. We even looked at a dead body removal company that was fascinating, had a great EBITDA, had a three and a half million dollar EBITDA, had contracts with state and local uh, governments to, to, to remove dead bodies, which is a little weird, a little morbid. Um, he had a patent body bag technology. You know, it was it was a great business. Could not get excited about it. We found this little one product toy company in Myrtle Beach. Older guy uh, went to didn't go to trade show. He just went to like pet pet store pet uh, shows every weekend, consumer product shows every weekend, and sold his his little one product aquarium thing. And we fell in love with it. Uh, we bought the company, we bought the thing, and, and we ended up, it took us a few years to get the, the right model, but we knew it was a toy business product. We knew it should be toy stores. We had seen, we'd gone to some of these shows with him, and we saw how deep every week, six or seven kids deep at his booth. Um, and and so we bought that company, we, we scaled it, we learned how to scale it, we learned how to do it, we learned how to manufacture the product. And, and we had a lot of help from our friends along the way, but just, you know, that sort of launched us. We, in 2009 at Boy Fair, um, we got our breakthrough. We got uh, Brookstone and we got uh, wow. Toys R Us. And we went from a, you know, struggling $100,000 company to a $9 million company, you know, in a matter of a couple months. And it just, it's, it blew up. And, and so, you know, and, and we did all that in sort of the middle of the financial crisis, which was interesting. Yes. The I always say that the financial crisis sort of helped us be a better company because we didn't have, 
even with a, you know, even when we had a million dollars in the bank and we were, our EBITDA was out, out, out of this, out of this world, they, we couldn't get a line of credit. We couldn't get, you know, we couldn't get any help really. And so it depended on us being, having great relationship with vendors. It, you know, required us to be really efficient and really smart. And so thank, thankfully through that financial crisis, we, you know, made us a stronger, better, sort of more financially better sort of managed company. Um, so that's how we got into toys and we just, we, you know, we reinvested everything. We, 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 we got operations in China. We, we started uh, getting ideas and, and bringing on uh, people to help us design and, 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 um, and, and we changed the model several times. We shifted from a, a, a solely uh, science and nature based company. Our first three products were science and nature based, but we, we saw the writing on the wall for that, uh, shifted and pivoted and, and ultimately came a sort of a private label. Uh, toy maker, but that was a journey. And it was a, it was a, it was a blast. It was so many ups and downs um, in that, but it was a, it was really a, a learning. You know, I'm always amazed at how much you mature, uh, it, particularly your first time as an entrepreneur, and the things that bothered us early on that would almost make you break down and cry, you know, and wither in the corner and just turn it, you know, get into a little ball and say, oh my God, what have I done? To, oh yeah, we can solve that, and and just and not even losing a bit of sleep or having a bit of stress about it. Wow, fascinating. Fascinating how you got into it. Fascinating how the company grew. Sounds like there's a little bit of timing luck there, which was, oh. which was awesome. Um, what what ended up happening with that company? We sold it. Uh, awesome. We, um, in 2014, um, had an opportunity to, to work with this company out of New York, uh, a private uh, equity firm out of New York. Um, to uh, to uh, to buy and and they they had some designs on the not only the toys but our manufacturing capability uh, they they were more interested in gift and in the gift market and and so um, a lot of it was to buy the capacity I mean they they kept the toy stuff um, but they took a big hit when Toys R Us closed and and uh, some of these other I mean the market's really really struggling um, and. You know, I don't know, know that we would have survived this sort of this wave of, of massive change. But um, but anyway, yeah, we, we were we had a we got an exit. And, you know, again, it was one of those moments where it was time. Like I, I people ask me, well, are you sad? Are you sad you got out of it? But, you know, honestly, I, I'd gotten to the point where I was bored because, you know, now we were in a management. We, we were through that adult phase. We were into that adult phase and where you're managing whether John shows up for work or not, you know, and I, I was least, I was less interested in that. I, I, the growth phase was really exciting. Just awesome, Brett, just awesome. Um, so how did you transition into your next phase and what, what came next after the sale of 2014? Um, you know, a lot of searching. Um, I had started doing some writing uh, for Inc. and at the time, and uh, that led to, uh, writing a couple books and that led to um, working with, you know, writing for Forbes and, and Inc. And, um, and really thinking about what was next. And I've done some investments in some other companies and we've done, you know, I've done some startup stuff together and as an advisor and investor and, and that's been great. And I, and I continue to do that because I love that, that startup energy and phase. Um, but I was at I was at a, a conference and uh, with 
with uh, Mark Thompson, who's a, a longtime coach, and um, and and started looking at coaching because um, I had good advisors, and I, and and that I kept getting drawn back to that, and and um, you know I had been a teacher in Peace Corps at a college, and I I, I thought a lot about that, and that I liked the. The helping people and, and and helping them open up their their thinking to other possibilities, and so coaching that's what happened and 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 um, and then and then you know at first it was more broad it was well let me let me kind of wear a couple hats I can be a consultant because I can come in and I can help people with a product or I can help people with a marketing challenge or a structural problem in the company, um, and it was less about the coaching I. I wasn't sure what that was going to look like, but it, as, as I, you know, grew and matured and, and learned what I really, where my value was, it's gotten a lot more narrow into that coaching side, which is the, the leader. And that's what we do at Courageous is, is that, that um, really helping people um, break through the barrier that are holding them back. And that, that's, that's where the focus is now. And, and it's really with, high-performing companies and, and companies that are already doing really good work, but can, can find that other gear. We all have another gear, right? We all have an, uh, a, a next level where we can operate and we don't operate in that gear very often, but I, I we need to be operating in that gear, particularly with the environment that we're all working in now. We have to be operating in that, in that other gear a lot more. Yes. No, I, I totally agree with that. And again, we're, we're broadcasting on LinkedIn where there's a lot of business people that are in need of uh, coaching help. Who is your ideal client? Who are the types of people that you're able to help? I love people who um, are athletes who are, are coming out of a professional athlete, athletic situation or something, or, uh, you know, been athletes in college, people who, uh, understand the value of coaching and understand that it, I'm, you know, um, how much coaching can really help you find that other gear, find that other, that other level. Uh, I, people who've been successful, uh, maybe at a, a as a CEO or a, a C-suite uh, person is coming out, uh, a founder who uh, is, is trying to create something and, and is, is, is maybe struggling with a few, a few minor things, but they have a goal, they have a vision, they have, uh, they, they know what they want. Um, I can just give them that little bit more to help them get there. So that's my ideal client. I, I don't put a title on it as much as I put on, you know, somebody that's high achieving, uh, that is, is, is got a lot of it in place and is doing really well already, but wants to get to that, to that next level. Um, that's the ideal client. You know, obviously it's taken a while to get there professionally. Um, you know, I've had to sort of learn and, and study and learn and, and be guided by uh, other coaches. And I've had to coach you know, people who are not at that place. Uh, and that's okay. But I know that um, being a former athlete, being um, and, 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 and actually founding companies and working at a high level and, and needing to work at a high level, uh, that's, that's where I, it, that's the exciting work. So uh, you've mentioned athletics now a couple of times. What was your sport? I was a wrestler. So no kidding. Yes. Wow. Now that's not, not a sport. Not the, not the professional. 
night. <laughs> right. Not the W what was it, WWE. WWE. Um, yeah. No, wrestling's a fascinating sport. And um I've had, you know, friends that have wrestled and um have always been interested in that. It actually works with some people that have wrestled. Um what is it about wrestling in particular that um because I, I know many wrestlers are high achievers. You know, there seems to be mm-hmm. some connection to that. What did you find in your wrestling, you know, training and, and the coaches that you had? What is it about that? Is it um, is there something there that's a little bit different than other sports? I'm just in, interested and intrigued. You know, I don't know, but I, 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 I've done a lot of thinking about that from a sort of inner work and personal um, personal work on myself to understand myself a little bit more. What I realized about wrestling and, and I still do is for, for what it did for me was, and, it, and I've sort of continued this throughout my whole life. It, it's an individual sport, and you, but you've got that team that you, you have to, you have to support and, and you can't let down, right? Your, your individual performance is important yeah. to, the, to the collective. Um, it's important to you for your own ranking and your own record and all that, but it also has bearing on on the rest of the teams. Um, I, I kind of equate it to the way I that it, I, I talk a lot about accountability. I'm launching a, a, an accountability program in a, in a couple of weeks, and um, I have to trick my for for example, I have to hire a personal trainer right now. Right, the reason I do it is I have to. It, I have to have skin in the game. I have to have, uh, it, by paying for that, I will show up and I'll show up as my best self ready to, to work. Um, and because I don't want to disappoint myself, I don't want to disappoint the, the trainer, right? It's, it, and it obligates me to mentally to, to do it all. Um, because I'm not self-disciplined enough to, to go out there and work on my own and do my own thing and, and to do all the, the, the workouts and all that stuff that, that, I, that I need to do. So I have to trick myself um, to, to do all that. Wrestling was sort of the same way, right? It's, um, there was a team aspect of it. You got to show up to team practice. You got to wrestle every week to get your spot. Um, so I, it, wrestling really helped me understand myself um, and, and, and how I have to operate in my, in my own daily life. And, and that was the beauty of, um, of every business I've been in, too. Like, I don't think I could do business by myself. Every business I've been in has, has had a partner. And, and it, to me, it's a great way to have that pressure to perform, that pressure not to let anybody down, that pressure to, to show up as my best self um, and to work just as hard, right? And to work as just as hard as that person's working. And so, I don't know, wrestling taught me a lot about myself. And maybe that's why I gravitated toward that sport because it, um, I didn't know that at, at, you know, at 12 when I started, but it, it, it really helped me in that way. That's so interesting. Um, and I, you know, when I was doing my research, it's, it's funny because I noticed that you co-founded a couple of different companies. So I'm like, this is a guy who likes to work with others. Um, I've co-founded as well. So I, again, I connected with that and it's just interesting to hear you talk about that. Um, you had another recent post and you talked about your writing a little bit here, but if you don't mind, I'd like to read this because I thought it was very interesting. You said one of the best benefits of being a Forbes contributor and publishing book reviews is Mm -hmm. I get a lot of books, 
but unfortunately, it creates several problems in my life. Shelf space or lack thereof. I'm carving out time to read everything I want. With the plethora of good books out there, what, what books do I review? Which author's work will help people the most? These issues cause stress and sleepless nights, I promise. And then you go on to talk a lot about a little bit more. But I, I really found this post interesting because here you are doing your coaching and involved with these different businesses, but you're spending time reading the books of others and then you provide these reviews. So I guess from a personal interest, I'm a writer myself. I help people write their first book. So I, I'm, I'm very fascinated by people on the other side like you that are reviewing books. Mm -hmm. uh, but talk about that a little bit. Where does that passion come from of wanting to review, read, review, and then and then post about it? Um, I guess it just feels like it's, it's uh, what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, yes. Um, it, uh, that's a, that's a really fascinating question. I've never really thought much about, I've just kind of liked the idea of sharing, um, what I, what, what I'm doing, what I'm reading and what, what might help me. Um, cause I know that there are people out there that, that like me are, um, struggling with the question, well, what's next? What do I read? What's going to help me? What's going to do, what's going to be the most valuable use of my time as we're, as we're questioning time, right? As we're all um, just uber busy and um, some of that's self-inflicted, some of that's just real. Um, so to me, it was about helping people sort of consolidate in down into uh, some books that, that may really have impact on their lives and be helpful to them. Um, and, and that was really the motivation. Um, yeah. You know, it, it yeah, there's nothing really deeper than that. It's, it's, um, I think it's kind of fun. Um, and the, the free books aren't bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. And I do really like at the end of the post, how you list the five books, you know, that, that you recommend. And, uh, again, good way to help those authors and, uh, good to help the people that are looking at your post and say, Oh, okay. Maybe it's some, these are some books that, that I can yeah. read that might be able to help me. But, it also sounds like we have one other thing in common, and that is, and you mentioned this earlier, we are constantly learning and growing. And um, I, I think that's important for people to be open to that no one knows it all. And as much as we know about one subject, there's you yeah. know a million other subjects that we don't know about. So how does this you know constant learning help us to grow in our own area? We could sometimes learn by studying or reading books that have nothing to do with our, our actual work. Would, would you agree? Uh, I, hands down. I mean, um, you know, anytime we can learn something different, I mean, I, you know, some of these books um, aren't necessarily related to my business, but if I can read something that, that helps me have a better conversation, if I read something that has helps me um, maybe think about a problem in a different way um you know it's it's helpful and 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 um i don't know i i kind of just feel like uh, in order to, you know we we're not in school anymore right 
learn. And the best way for us to learn and, and is to have meaningful conversations and surround ourselves with smart people who um, are doing, uh, doing things really well, whether it's in our industry or not. Um, surround ourselves with good leaders and people who we admire and, and, and want to emulate. Uh, and then the other part of that is to, to read and consume, uh, you know, and, and it doesn't mean that we agree with it. I don't agree with everything I read, but at the same time, it gives me perspective and, and yes. it makes me at least think, um, think, feel, and do. I, I think if a book can make me think, feel, and do something different, then that's, that's a, that, you know, that's a win. Yeah. No, you nailed it. To me, it's all about perspective and looking at things from different perspectives. Okay, so a um, couple more questions here before I let you go, Rhett. All right. Uh, the first one is, I want, I would love to know a little bit more about your writing process. As I mentioned, I help people write their first book. There's so many people out there. Everyone has a book in them. I believe that. But there's so many people out there that have the fear. We talked about that. Um, but then, you know, if they get over the fear of wanting to write a book, how do they start? So if, if you wouldn't mind, if you could share some of your tips on because you've written oh. several books now. How just give us a, an idea of how do you start? Do you sit down with a pad of paper? Do you sit down on a computer to start flushing out ideas? How do you start writing your books? Oh, oh, they're painful, Roger. They're <laughs> painful. They're painful, man. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I tell you what this is the way I'm going to do it from now on. So I wrote the first one with my business partner after we did wild creations. And then the second one I did by myself. And that was just, to be honest with you, it was God awful. Um, what I'm doing now with this, this next book, I went back to writing it with, I guess, back to my partner philosophy. Um, I, I went to, to have some co I wanted to have co-authors on it. Um, and the book that we just finished, uh, again, I have two other co-authors on it and that's the way I'm going to do it from now on because it, they push you, they, you know, you have, you set deadlines, you, you have the, the, to me, that was a, so much better than trying to do that book on my own. And maybe it's because I'm not disciplined enough or whatever it is, but that book took like four years to write, three years to write this one. We got through really fast because we we were pushing each other um in, in terms of the writing i i do have to every day set time aside so i've given myself an uh, sort of a this you know with forbes and and thrive and ceo or a couple of these other things that i write for i do a column a week so it's i'm forcing myself to sit down and write every week and i, I do set time away on the calendar aside on the calendar uh, with undisturbed time where I don't answer the phone. I don't look at email or internet or social media at all. And I, and I sit down to write an article and I, and I try to write it and I give myself a couple hours a week to do that. Um, there's some weeks where I have two or three things due. Uh, I'll set outside more time and, and, and I just have to do it that way, um, to get in the right space and, and give myself the room and the, the thought to do it. Um, and, yeah, so it is a matter of setting aside a time to do it for me. And I think with my eight, well, my worst case of ADHD in the world, I, that's, I have to like set aside time to do it and get off all of the distractions, get the distractions out of my way to do it. Because yeah. if, if Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn is sitting in front of me, I'll go, I'll go down some rabbit hole. So 
I, I do have to cut all that stuff off and write. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. And I, I totally could relate to that. Um, but I do want to make you feel. I need your book. I need your book process is what I. (laughs) I do want to make you feel good about something three years. It's long, but it's not that long. I've been working on a novel going on 10 years next year. years. So it's coming to completion. Um, it's, it was one of those books that, you know, I did a little here and there, but spent a a lot of hours over this uh, last decade. Um, so three years is nothing. <laughs> well, that, that makes me feel better. <laughs> yes. Thank well, you. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> absolutely. Look, this has been uh, just a great conversation. You've shed uh, a lot of insights on your past. And, you know, if I look and connect the dots backwards to your career, now it makes a little bit more sense of all these different you know, areas of, of focus that you've had along your journey. And it's really great to get you to know you better today. Um, one last question before I let you go. Um, I try to ask every guest this, and that is uh, you still have a lot of life to live like me because we're the same age. Um, at the end of the day, what do you want your legacy to be? You know, I've actually had some friends pass away recently and cousin that passed away last year and, and um, uh, that were my age and I I've thought a lot about that question um, I, I want my legacy to be one of that you followed your dreams you followed your heart you followed your gut and, and you, you tried you failed some you succeeded maybe hopefully more than you failed but um, that that you were willing to try and, and do and um, that I was a person that was connected that I um, was was present. Um, that I love. I was you know I, that I loved hard and, and freely. Um, to me, it's not about the business success or any of that other stuff. I, I just want some. I want people to say that that was a well a life well lived. I, I think if people can say that about me, um, then then great. I, I'd love to leave you know a, a business behind or you know. I, something like that. I, I thought about that when I was in the toy business. It would be great to leave this as a legacy company. Um, but that's less important now. It's more about the feeling that people have about you. Um, and, and, you know, I want my kids, my boys to to remember uh, me as, a, as that. And, and that I what I gave them was a sense of adventure, a sense that they can do anything that they put their minds to, and to, to live life fully um, and be engaged in love. And, and I think if, if they get that from me, then that was success and, and, a, and a pretty good legacy. So that's what I want. Um, that's probably a, a tall order, but um, that's what I'm striving for. Awesome, just awesome. Rep Power, you are a class act and a powerhouse, if I may add. Welcome to the American Real family. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your story with us today, a little bit of your story. And I can't wait to have you back. We'll do it again real soon. I know you have some uh, real exciting projects coming up. So we'll, we'll do this again and we'll share a little bit more. Thank you, Roger. It's been a real pleasure, man. This has been a lot of fun and great questions, by the way. Just great. Love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one coaching, 
check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we can help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.